from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. The Craig Needles Podcast, the Friday Roundtable at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. We're on your favorite podcast app, too. We are joined here in the studio this week by Steve Kortz, who is the... uh, uh, Executive Director of Youth Opportunities Unlimited, Political Insider Ryan Goss is here, as is Kelly Zigner, who, of course, is with the uh, uh, Elgin Middlesex uh, United Way and CEO. Yep. Yeah, there we go. See, I, I, I always, <laughs> like, I have these notes. Like, I've already written out what the description <laughs> of the podcast is, but I don't actually look at it when I'm introducing everybody. Can so I just say go. something off the topic? I'm Please, really the Ryan. odd man out here. Like, yeah. I, ha- I have, the, like, the two, like, gold standards of community leaders in the non-for-profit <laughs> world benefiting our community, and I'm kind of in the middle here, so it's a privilege to be talking with them today i think you you think you missed on me that's for sure well, but, yeah. okay. enjoy the love ryan enjoy the love i, I I'm, I'll, I'll be straight up i asked you because it's a short commute there you go. Uh, <laughs> i appreciate the honesty uh, there you go uh let's let's talk about some stuff going on in the community this week and some of this crosses into non-profit some of this crosses into federal government so maybe it fits as a topic uh asylum seekers in the city of london uh corinne Rahman, the city councilor in ward seven and josh morgan the mayor have come out with a letter this week saying that Hey, council colleagues, we should tell the province and the feds that we're going to need some help with our services being strained because of asylum seekers in this community. Uh, and I don't think anyone, at least right now, is blaming the asylum seekers necessarily. But hey, there there does need to be a conversation between the different levels of government. Uh, Steve, what do you think of of where we're at right now? They, they've made, a, I think, a pretty compelling case that there does need to be some level of change here. Well, I think if uh, if it's uh, reaching out and uh, all hands in the bucket to help uh, big, big issues, for sure. Uh, I've done some checks in our own shelter at YOU, and uh, we don't re- record that particular statistic. Right. Uh, but uh, at least in the youth shelter that YOU is involved in, we're not seeing any significant change on that front. We are in some of our employment programs and so on, but the province already has uh, vehicles in place to help with employment programming for folks. Uh, Kelly, obviously resources are strained all over the place right now. That's that's not new. That's not shocking anybody. Do we think that discussing the asylum seeker aspect of this is, is productive? It needs to happen. Does there need to be a conversation between the city and the other levels of government? I think the collaboration is always important to understand what's happening um, in local communities and, and how that issue seems to be sort of migrating around, even from community to community. It sort of mm-hmm. came to a head in the GTA and then last evening saw news reports of uh, an individual dying in an encampment. So it is a serious issue um, that, you know, I think we see this often, it gets pushed a little bit down the 401 as people are looking for additional resources. So I do think it's important to have those conversations and uh, hopefully um, do some solution building together. And obviously, they're going to be calling on the federal government, Ryan, which uh, invokes your day job here. Has, has, has Peter Fragoscato said any conversation with uh, not just perhaps city leaders in London, but elsewhere about what's going on with asylum seekers in Canada? Well, we're always having conversations about that, right? I, I have to say, though, that this is this motion or letter or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it has completely come out of left field. Like, I, I so there's been no conversation no, about it. You're no, like, like there's like it come out of left field. Like we we were given a heads up that there may be something coming a day or two before. Um, just so that we weren't surprised in the media and uh, um, that's good on the staff side but no this there, there this has not been a 
a, a big issue that we have heard into our office about, uh, and we're constantly engaging with community partners. I have two of them beside us. Like we hear when there are problems and we always have our ear to the ground. Um, Peter was interviewed on the news about this yesterday and he said, you know, I'm always having a conversation about this and we're always cognizant that, you know, that there, there could be, there could be pressures put on our systems, especially with what we're seeing in the GTA. And, and Kelly, you mentioned kind of the migration that happens internally in a province and, and down the 401 when, when certain community services are being exhausted, then they, they come here. We're seeing that not just with asylum seekers, but with people that are struggling with uh, mental health and addiction, homelessness, uh, um, needing, needing those supports as well from around the region. And that's been clear. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I think... Uh, I think the priority for, for council needs to be to really kind of finalize and, and, and get their hands around the, you know, the, the, the homelessness plan has been worked on so hard um, and uh, that the that the two people in this room have actually been at the table on of working through it and getting it done. We've obviously had a hub that fell apart uh, for, for various reasons. And there's a lot of, I know you've done many podcasts on that and many interviews, um, but many complaints. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, but for me, I think that I, I don't know, like I like I don't know, like the counselor that's also putting it forward. It was also the counselor that was really fighting against that, that hub and that location. Like there's, like there's, there's a lot of things going on here. And I, I really think that we need, I, I think we always need to have an ongoing conversation, but this has not been a front burner issue that I have heard about at least. And, and again, I stand to be corrected, but it's not something that's come through, through our doors. So uh, from the, the letter, it says this, um, these shelters lack sufficient programs to help asylum seekers trans out of over, transition out of overnight temporary housing and newcomers don't have the same access to programs, which from everything I can tell is true. They do not have the same access to programs, right. but they are here. And if we're having a homelessness issue, we don't need to be adding to the homelessness issue very clearly. I just don't know how we do this when resources are so strained across the board already. This is the, this is the concern I've got. Exactly. And that specific issue uh, in any table around the health and homelessness summits that I've been at has not come up as an issue around okay. that particular mm -hmm. table. Now, if folks are thinking, let's get in advance of an issue, because it has been an issue in GTA and, and maybe in some other communities too. Okay, well, let's talk it through. Uh, but I'm always a big fan of ensuring that you're building an infrastructure that already is in place. And I know the Cross-Cultural Learner Center has some thoughts around, I'm not done any yep. idea, but uh, I'm pretty excited about what they're hoping to do uh, with their new affordable housing. And they have Absolutely. such a great infrastructure. Uh, so I would look to them as experts around, you know, how can we continue to support this coming forward? But targeting a specific population, we need to understand their needs, but... Uh, uh, it just, it feels like it could be really divisive really easily yeah. too in the wrong context too. Can I, and if I can jump in there, Craig, sorry, just for a moment, I, I just want to say, why are we doing this as, as a formal uh, uh, request to council for report back? Why aren't these conversations happening one-on-one? -on -one? Like, like my phone, my phone's on from a staff level perspective. My boss's phone is on from a member apartment's perspective. I can't speak for the other members apartment, but there hasn't been any, the engagement necessary on this issue behind the scenes. We've been working our butt off to try to find avenues for how we can find additional funding for the house and home, uh, um, housing and homelessness strategy here in London, excuse me. And we've, uh, 
we just actually had Lynn Livingston, the city manager at the finance committee talking in pre-budget consultations. We were able to secure a spot for her there so that her and um, her and uh, Scott from Intercommunity Health could go down and have a conversation about why more is needed um, for communities that are dealing with mental health and addiction and homelessness crises like we are here in London, because uh, that's an issue from coast to coast to coast. So I feel like as Steve kind of alluded to, like we need to focus on where we're going here. And if this is a really pressing issue and, and this is a, a real big problem that we have, then then absolutely let's talk about it. But when we're asking in the federal government and the provincial government, especially because this is actually it would need the money would need to come from the provincial government. Money could flow from the feds to the province, but it would ultimately be coming from the provincial government, um, unless it's a service agreement with a provider like the Cross Cultural Learners Center. It feels like a math problem. It's I, exactly, <laughs> but but that's what I'm saying is that is that we need to stay focused on what we are doing, and we need to look at homelessness uh, and services in general writ large, and we we can't start deviating from a plan that so many people worked so hard on, and right. that really brought people together. I really find that this is just a squirrel moment so to speak and, and i i don't see it as as um uh, the right timing i think it, it to steve's point i think you can try to you can try to isolate that group and i, I of, of individuals and I, I don't know if that's productive right I, I worry sometimes about the um the the unintended consequence when it comes to public narrative around these right. things so those people using up our resources is right. what then you know gets perpetuated in, on social media and that's really harmful and um, you know we see it south of the border you know we is that really the kind of conversation we want to be having here we just saw another news story around um, a food bank in the GTA um, turning down international students you're not allowed in the doors here if you're an international student yeah. and you know I, I worry about what that perpetuates I worry about if look if someone's hungry we, we should give them something to eat and, yeah, and exactly. like food yeah yeah and just it, give them food it yeah. just it, it seems like a, a harmful way to go about things that way I understand what they're saying from the perspective of look immigration is not something that a municipal government can can fund they, we just they yeah. we just we don't have the resources to do that now I don't know how you go about acquiring those resources. Maybe you go about having conversation a different way, but you, you, can you fund essentially immigration programs from a property tax base? Probably not. No. No. Yeah. So, but again, it's a much yeah. larger conversation that we've we've been having these conversations around uh, um, uh, around immigration and around support for newcomers since Peter was elected back in 2015. We have an excellent relationship with CCLC. We have an yeah. excellent relationship with our service providers. And let me tell you, loud and clear they tell us when they need more and they tell us when they're, they're not shy eh? no no <laughs> and they tell us when they're they're they are they are strapped and they tell us what their priorities are we're not experts in that area in london we listen and we hear and steve you had actually mentioned cclc on the new housing project that they're talking about that's so exciting yeah. from what i've been hearing that's a big priority and we've been trying to help them with with federal programs through cmhc that may be available um as well as talking to um uh to citizenship and immigration as well so uh, again i just find that i i don't know if they're trying to get ahead of something but we're not we're, we haven't heard it we haven't i haven't had a single communication on this um so i think that again 
I personally think this should also be a conversation that's happening at those tables that both of you sit on with the home with the housing and homelessness plan in general to talk about that. And then if it is identified as an issue, what is going to be done in the short term? And then what are the strategies in the long term? And the conversation should be ha- happening with the MPPs and the MPs at that point in time about moving forward. That's just my humble opinion as a Londoner. We will uh, see how, how that progresses. Obviously, that comes up next week, and I think there'll be some interesting conversation about that at uh, at the council level. Do you want to talk about housing as well? Because this sort of fits into that conversation. Really, it all comes back to housing and a, and a lack thereof, I think. Uh, the federal government, and Ryan, I know that you were uh, obviously aware of this announcement because uh, Peter Fragascados made it, uh, is putting towards uh, $142 million in loans, uh, low-interest loans, to build a 500 188 purpose-built rental unit tower or two two tower building rather uh, at 391 South Street in Saint uh, in uh, in old, like the old South Street hospital lands badly underutilized lands in the city of London. Uh, are we going to be? We need to see more things like this in my estimation. This needs to happen more often. The plans look great. There's also another project in Saint Thomas that will receive uh, a little over 14 million dollars in this type of loan. So this is what we're talking about when the federal government says, "Hey, here's what we're going to do in order to get purpose-built rental going." I guess is the is the thought process here. It's just one of the things that we're going to do, actually. Yes. Okay. So uh, this is the uh, Rental Construction Financing Initiative, or RCFI, that that many of you are aware of. Um, so right now, actually, we can probably see them from your window. The two towers going up on Fullerton, um, the the Centro. Mm-hmm. That that would that those buildings are done uh, with that money as well. We actually announced that back in 2015 through these o- low interest loans. Now more than ever, this program is going to be needed, Craig, because of the in- where interest rates are. Right, they're they're making the pro formas basically impossible for developers to build these these massive projects without a break on the interest rate. Um, and this program is going to be key to making sure that these these buildings go. And at the end of the day, I know what uh, uh, the biggest criticism we always get whenever we make a housing announcement is that it's not truly affordable. It's not affordable housing. We need all types of housing. Yeah. Right across the spectrum, we need single-family homes. We need we need Marcus Baker, uh, Marcus market, excuse me, market-based rental units. We need affordable. We need deeply affordable. We're short on everything. We're short on yeah. everything. Yeah. So Peter, you've heard Peter say this time and time again. It's about supply. We need to. You've said a million times on your podcast, Craig. Build, build, build. We need to build, and we need to build smart, and we need to get going. And this is one of the tools we are going to use um, as the government. But I'm I'm quite optimistic, and I don't have an inside track on this that I'm, you know, that I'm, I'm teasing out here, but I'm very optimistic that we're going to see even more from the government on this because we have to, we have to uh, really keep moving this along at a faster pace. And it's got to be projects that make sense, i.e. badly underutilized land in the middle of the city of London. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. And what a great location because no, I mean, how many people on a limited income drive a car? Yeah. So they're relying on public transit or active transit and so on. And so to be in or around the downtown core for stuff and like that. rapid transit will go right by oh, there once it gets going. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a great, great location. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, I know the United Way has got a report about uh, affordable housing in the province of Ontario right now and what needs to be done there. What's, what's in that that kind of jumps out as the, as the highlights to you? Yeah, so we're um, a big focus of that report is on increasing rental stock. So right. this is you know, one of the things, right? And yeah. this is one of the things, and maybe it's not at the lowest end of the spectrum, but it is important to get that rental stock. In the last thirty years, only eight percent of uh, new housing starts have been in the rental market, right? And 04 percent in the affordable or deep, uh, deeply no. affordable um, 
sector. So um, the report is an action plan for the Ontario government specifically on um, and a blueprint for how to get uh, more units particularly at that affordable and deeply affordable level. And really it's a pitch for um, partnering with the nonprofit sector on those units because the the private sector they have a different incentive it's profit and uh, whereas the nonprofit sector you know we're about our missions and supporting people where they're at and we have the opportunity to do that so um, you know it's being well received and we continue to have those conversations with um, our provincial partners we need the whole mix because when you look at I mean that's that's a great project uh, there's a 15-year or 20-year uh, term loan on that. So 16, I think. Six, it, I yeah. think so yeah. on, on the on the the most recent announcement. So so it's a long-term commitment. But I, but I know for when we sign uh, funding agreements with the federal government uh, uh, on the deeply affordable stock that we do, these are 50-year agreements. Yeah. Right. So we're committing a 50-year time frame to keep them as deeply affordable units. And to Kelly's point. We need all of the above. I'm not saying it's one option over over the other or whatever. We need all of the above. We certainly need the private sector involved. 16-year commitment gets them involved. And it may stay longer than that, but it gets them in the game for 16 years at least. And then uh, we go forward with other strategies too. What I often say about this is if there is an apartment that's, you know, $2,000 a month, you know, right now in London, that's not what most people would consider affordable. But if the the choices are between the apartment worth $2,000 a month and the apartment worth $1,000 a month, and there's not enough $2,000 a month apartments to go around. It just makes everything so much more yeah. competitive, even at the low end. Like just the number of people you have that want to live there is what's going to determine how much the rent is if you're at market rate. Well, and, exactly. Yeah. And you know what, for um, for any of the housing that we build, we always assume there's going to be a turnover, whether it's in a shelter, uh, the upcoming hub, even our affordable housing at mm-hmm. Cornerstone and, and upcoming at Jones Place. Cornerstone's now been open for 12 years, uh, and it's tagged at uh, deeply affordable rents. When we first opened it for the first few years, the average stay was about four to six months. Okay. So even though it was permanent housing and people signed lease, we let them out of the lease if a better option came for them and so on. Uh, that's a year and a half now. So that just tells you the average is now a year and a half. Right. Well, so we want just, that three throughput, but, but it's just to your point. Where there, do they go from there? There's less spaces for them to go as, as the next spot. Yeah. So that means there's less spots for people to, and, and it just, it, it, yep. it, it, it trickles all the way well, down. And, yeah. and I've had a conversation about the, um, about, you know, when do we start seeing rents drop, right? right. Like I've had, and I've spoken to developers yeah. and a whole bunch of people on this. And it, and that happens when there is vacancy. We don't, right. we have basically zero in, in London uh, when it comes to our vacancy uh, uh, rate. We residential vacancy. Yeah, residential. Yeah, yeah exactly. Commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Will's listening closely. Re- residential. <laughs> yeah. Yes, residential vacancy. Yeah. But we, we need to be at, we really need to start to be at 4 to 5% before we really see that, that market and those rents start to drop. How do you yeah. get there? More supply. We need supply. We need to get supply online in all the different areas. And one thing I just want to clarify too is that with that uh, low uh, interest money, Craig, like there are conditions. So on the specifically on the South Street project, uh, a minimum of, of 20% of the units must be affordable with rents at or below 30% of the median household income, um, which is based on, uh, you know, s- a, a st- stats Canada. Yeah, yeah. But there is an affordability component yeah. to it. Is it deeply affordable? No. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, is it is so? And again, everyone has a different uh, a different take on affordability. But I also say uh, I've said on your show before, Craig, it's like dominoes. If I'm living in an apartment, or if Steve, let's say Steve's living in an apartment that's fifteen hundred dollars a month, and I'm living in an apartment that's thousand dollars a month, and Kelly's living in one two thousand dollars a month, and and Kelly wants to move up, and then Steve wants to move up, and then I want to move up, apartments start opening up for people to kind of move up the chain as yeah. they progress, right? So I really think that there is also that that effect that this has. We need to bring all types of housing online. We have no choice and we need to do it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Sooner, uh, sooner the better for sure. So we'll we'll see how that uh, uh, conversation progresses. Obviously, that I think it's going to wind up being the issue of the next federal campaign, whenever that is. So everyone's got, you know, a little over a year maybe to get their ducks in a row as far as how that's going to look to the uh, the average Canadian voter. Uh, do you want to talk as well about the uh, the story at London Health Science Center this week that was in the London Free Press? And I'm glad that Kelly and Steve are here for this because I wanted to get their perspective on it. When you, people are donating money or it's tax dollars that are going into it, there's obviously going to be a lot of eyes on how the money gets spent. And when half a million is earmarked for trips to Australia or the United Arab Emirates or Portugal. Now, the Australia trip is, has now been canceled, according to the folks at the Free Press. Uh that is going to draw some significant ire. So when you're doing the books, Kelly, and you're realizing that, hey, people are going to be mad if I'm not spending this money properly. Like, how, how much does that have to go through your head as you're charting out the path for the organization? Well, like Steve, I've spent my entire career in the nonprofit sector <laughs> yeah. and cost per dollar raise and cost of overhead is like the continuous um, sort of cloud that follows us wherever we go. So right. optics are always like number one. Um, and, you know, how are where are there opportunities where we can, you know, leverage sponsorships or other supports, you know, cost sharing with employees? That said, I do think professional development is important. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very, very limited budget. I think sometimes when you get into those, um, uh, you know, senior executive levels, it is built into compensation packages. So it is something that is part of their annual compensation to be able to have mm-hmm. professional development. But I think sometimes just because you can doesn't mean you should and you may need to pause and like let's look at the big picture um understand you know what is uh sort of the tone that is playing out in our community and and in our our workplace right now and is this the appropriate time and spend yeah and when the compensation is a little over seven hundred thousand dollars a year (laughs) buy your own plane ticket uh (laughs) steve I think, uh, like Kelly, there is always that lens, and for sure, uh, almost on every, certainly every capital purchase at YOU, let alone uh, PD, professional training, and mm-hmm. so on, uh, that lens is applied. You know, how, what's this going to do to advance the organization? How could this be construed or misconstrued or whatever? And can it stand up to that kind of scrutiny? That being said, though, uh, LHSC is a world class facility. Yes, it is. And uh, and the folks that have talked about it from the Taxpayers Coalition and so on, I think if they were ever uh, at London Health Sciences Center and heading into surgery, it'd be far more comforting to know that their surgeon learned that skill on site rather than through Zoom. And, uh, and so given that reality, I think it's easy to cherry pick one or two issues and say yes to, the, yes to this, no to that. That's a good idea. That seems like right. a really bad idea. It's great to have a world-class facility but we don't want to invest to ensure that it is that. 
And I think that uh, part of it is all that. So I'm not completely letting them off the hook. I'm sure they go through the same scrutiny that Kelly and I just talked about. Uh, and well, the uh, province and I, is investigating them right now. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> but they'll go that, that investigation. Yeah, that's, it's scrutiny time. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but that level of scrutiny, I would never want that to get in the way of the overall performance right. of any organization. And, and I think that where they lose me here, and I know that they said to the folks of the newspaper is, oh, these were not, you know, healthcare dollars that were spent on this. 90% of the public doesn't care. Right. They're going to say, oh, these were dollars that went to the hospital. I would like that to be spent on nurses, please. Yeah. That's, that's, just, that's just the way that 90% of the public's going to take this, Ryan, I think. No, I, I agree with you. And I agree with what both Kelly and Steve said. I, I think that it... Again, I'm so pro professional development. I think that, you know, for, for far too long, like organizations have cut that and have not really put a focus on professional development. And we need to make sure that we re- that we attract and retain the best people possible and continue to improve their skills. That said, I'm in the business of optics. I'm, I'm in the business of how things look and, and, and what people think. And we're in really tough financial times right now for yeah. everyone. Like, yeah. on, uh, it doesn't matter where you are on the financial spectrum. Like, it, 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 people are feeling the pinch. And I think that, Kelly, I think, not to put words in your mouth, but to quote what you, I think I'm quoting what you said, just because, uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that's kind of this situation here. I, re- I respect the professional development. I think maybe what they should have looked at is instead of sending teams of people, right, maybe right. like one or yeah. two, maybe yeah. like, okay, Steve, you're going to, you're going in 2023 and Kelly, you're going in 2025, right? right. Sorry, but like, you know, everything's so tight right now. And, and also too, is let, let, let's think about the morale issue is that like nurses and doctors and OR aides and cleaners and nurses and, and limited to 1% raises by the provincial government for several years. It, exactly. Right. And that's and, a tough sell for them. A hundred percent. And coming out of COVID, right. And full disclosure, my wife's a nurse. So yeah. like, I want to put, like, I don't want anyone <laughs> tweeting at me. Like, you know, yes, my wife is a nurse, full disclosure, but, but at the other day they came out of COVID and they already have all that stress. They're just emerging. There's constant cuts. There's never enough money in the, in the system. We have people waiting for MRI and procedures for for way too long and I just think the optics right now and then put on top of it like I said the financial strain that people are under I just I just don't think it looks good and again I want to be very clear I'm not against professional development but if they could say listen if they came to you and said okay we spent you know $200,000 but actually we were scheduled to spend $750,000 but the board or the executive yeah. team thought that this just was not going to be good at the same time we are a world class facility we have to give our you know we have to honor our contract obligations and and really make sure that we're out there for professional development but to Steve's point too I don't like this you can do everything by zoom now no there's some things you cannot do by zoom like in in professional development but I think th- I just think they could have looked at this situation differently and maybe scaled it back a touch. I will note this. The conference that was in Portugal next week, uh, next year rather, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Kind of feels like it's never in Hamilton. <laughs> you know, it's not in Sudbury very often. <laughs> That's yeah. not LHSC's fault yeah. though, to be I, fair. I, like, to I, be I, fair, I, right? I, like, I'm not blaming that LHSC. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. Kind yeah. of feels like we're going to the high rent districts there. That's, yeah, that's, you know. No, and I think you know I have a t- I have a test, uh, and I'm sure you both have tests for your organization. But I'm like always, what would I th- would I be comfortable with this if it's on the front page of the Globe and Mail or the Free Press or pick right. your favorite paper? Yeah. And on this one, the answer for me, if I was there, if I was there, uh, you know, strategic advisor would be like, 
uh, I I would not do this, or I would. And lo I would, and behold, it winds yeah, up on the front page, page of the free press. Exactly, <laughs> or I would scale it, or I would scale back drastically, and and ha- and and let that be known that 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 has been done with with all the things that we've mentioned uh, taken into consideration. Exactly to your point, Ryan. Uh, one of the lenses at YOU, for example, is uh, uh, I'm a donor to YOU. We encourage our management team each to be donors to YOU uh, because when you're a donor, you take a different lens. And so sometimes around conversations, I'll introduce that lens into our, our management team meetings saying, as a donor, would I feel good about spending money in this way? Would I feel good about my donation going that right. way? And I think that that's the kind of lens we have to look at. So for example, they don't plan the conferences, so they can't help what they are, but I'm not letting off the hook. What are they doing and what are we doing? What are their associations doing to say, okay, you know what? It's not the optics to be heading down to Rio and uh, Portugal and so on. And, and, and where can we still do the same quality but not do it in, in these uh, exclusive locations that just s- smell wrong sometimes? Yeah. And uh, you have an extra level of, of scrutiny from the perspective of I wouldn't want Cheryl mad at me about. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> she finds her way there anyway exactly. sometimes. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, Cheryl doesn't like this decision. Yeah. Uh, but that's just something to consider. Uh, I want to talk about one more story before we wrap up. And this was kind of, this was not kind of, certainly a sad story that uh, in, in about 48 hours, there were two fatal pedestrian collisions in London. Now, I want to be very clear that I'm not asking this question because we know what happened with those crashes. London police are still investigating. There are all sorts of things that could have happened that could have not been related to, to street design or driver error or, or pedestrian error, or any of these things. I don't know what happened. It could be anything. However, I think it is worthy to discuss is London a safe city for people who get around not via car? And I note that you biked here today, Steve. <laughs> and I walked here today myself, right. but I wanted to ask you, where do you think we stand on that level of safety right now in this community just in the wake of the two very sad stories we have this week? It's a big, loud capital F. And I mean that yeah. F in whatever way you want to infer <laughs> that. Um, and I'd say it never used to be. Uh, yeah. We've gotten far worse. The drivers are far more aggressive. I run on the streets frequently, the sidewalks, and uh, and ride as you as you've noted, almost every single day. Uh, I have a reasonably close call, uh, and sometimes you know once a week at least, a more than reasonably close call, and mm-hmm. almost all of that is preventable if somebody had just not exercise some aggression. Sometimes it's literally, you get a green light at, at a walk, you start going, and the driver tries to beat you. Because the yes, driver yes. wants to get there before you get there and save themselves the two seconds or whatever. And not thinking about what they're putting at risk there. They're mm-hmm. just so caught up in the moment. These aren't even necessarily unattentive drivers. I do notice a difference if I'm running with my dog. If I'm running with my dog, I get wide berths almost all the time. So that tells me something because it's noticeable. May I tell you the same thing? When I'm with my kids, yes, different than when I'm by myself. Yeah. By like significantly different. Now, uh, I don't need to get into this too far on the podcast. There was an instance where a lady, when I was with my son, uh, had the close call at a, at a red light and she didn't see him and she almost kind of drove right into him. Wow. That was a very negative experience for her. Uh, <laughs> maybe she won't make Absolutely. that mistake again. Uh, but uh, I, I want to be clear. I, it was just, it was, it was, it was a verbal, it was a verbal <laughs> dressing down to be clear. Uh, but still 
Uh, I notice the same thing that if like when I'm walking my kids to school, it's a different vibe than when I'm by myself walking to work. Right. It's a different vibe. There was a, in the summertime where they're building the Adelaide overpass, there was a street downtown where people were using as a throughway. Yeah. And people speeding on the street and they kept calling police. Nothing was happening. So somebody put a stuffed cat in the middle of the road. Oh, I heard about this. Yes. traffic slowed right down. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) The cat. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. So do we need more stuffed cats? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it, 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 it's... It's tough. London's growing so fast, right? And more and more and more cars are on the road. And and honestly, I think I've grown up in London my entire life. All 37 years I've been in London. And I never, I don't really ever think that we've done a good job at educating Londoners on how to engage with bicycles. I'll be honest, when I first started working in Ottawa, they have some serious bike infrastructure. And I had to learn, like, because I would, I would drive up sometimes and I'd be driving down, like my, where I stay is in downtown Ottawa and then just to walk to the hill. And uh, um, I, I didn't, I had to start Really, like I have to look that is there anything coming down the bike lane I just took it for granted right so I don't think we do a good enough job at educating Londoners about that uh, on how sh- how they should be dealing with you know um, bikes on the street I, a lot of people say to me I you should the bike all bikers should be on the sidewalk I, I'll be honest with you no like, no like because when I'm walking my my kids with my kids or my dog I don't want to get run over because some people do on bikes are there and they don't they don't give you that courtesy on the sidewalk. Right. They shouldn't be there. So I think we have to do a better job at educating. And I, I think just throwing it, and I want to be clear, you can throw in as many bike lanes as you want. You can put them all in these nice little angled mm-hmm. pieces of cement that I don't quite understand what they do. You can put them all out there. If Londoners don't understand why they're there right. and, and they don't understand how to actually properly make that turn and, and what they should be doing and, and why it's in place, in my opinion, it's useless because then you just have people that get frustrated, as we've seen in some cases in Old North, where they'll just run right over the Ballards, right? Like they're because yeah. they're so frustrated by it. And then I also this could be a whole long topic, but I also don't think the city does a good enough job of cleaning them in the winter. Like there's a whole mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of issues that I think we we have to look at, and I think that starts with education and public awareness, and yeah. and not because maybe I'd like to hear from both of you. I don't ride my bike nearly enough. I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not an expert in this area, but. Um, I also think there's a bit of us versus them mentality in 100%. this city yep. where I'm in a car, you're in a bike and the bikers don't like the people in the car and the cars don't like the people in the bike. And, and it, it, it's gotten to the point where, where there's too many close calls and there's a, there, there's a lot of animosity. And, and I think that that there needs to be something done about that. What? I, I have no idea, but I, I, I personally, as an outsider uh, to this situation, see that as a problem. Am I wrong or? Oh no, no, no. no. Uh, uh, and also, too, the other thing is uh, you can see uh, drivers regularly uh, speeding or coming to kind of a stop at a four-way stop, yeah. you know, zooming through. Uh, but they're often the same drivers because I had this happen actually leaving work last week. And uh, I guess around that construction thing at, at York and Richmond, uh, it's getting in a lot of people's way these days. Uh, but I was on my bike. and uh, Great project, right thing, though. Great yeah, project. Great so project, I got to say, great organization. <laughs> I had somebody lean on their horn really aggressively at me, and I was riding through the construction zone. I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I guess I probably held them up by about 10 seconds. They got to the next light, which is Clarence Street, I think, um, or Talbot. Uh, anyway, heading west, and they zoomed through a red light. Oof. That same driver. And so that's only one little anecdote, but that kind of stuff happens frequently. So, uh, um, and I will, it's intentional. I will, I will note this. Uh, well, I, so I spend about an hour walking downtown every day. It's my walk from here to home is about a half hour. So I do it twice, about an hour. I, I, once a week, 
I have an issue with someone rushing to an intersection to to turn before I do or whatever right. it happens to be. So it's like it's it's an, it's annoying and it's it's obviously dangerous when it occurs, but at the same time people just got to be a little bit smarter. And the the bad intersection for it is uh right out front of Barney's there. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah. oh, is it Paul Mall there? Paul yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Mall in Richmond because people want to turn right onto Richmond and when they see that advanced or not even the advance, but when they when they see the red light on Richmond, they want to make sure they can turn right. So they want to beat pedestrians to that spot. And I've had a couple of, of, of very close calls there that yeah. uh, wind up with me, you know, kicking a bumper or something. But uh, it's yeah. it's the same type of deal that just like just exercise a little bit of caution because if it goes bad, it could go very bad. And again, I don't know what happened yeah. at that parking lot at the where the one instance occurred or uh, on Adelaide where the other one did. The police are still trying to piece it together. But it was a situation where someone just didn't exercise the proper caution and someone died because of it. I think too, like we live in a community that's very car centric and yes, it kind of has to be because there isn't other infrastructure in place. And my kid goes to university in, in Montreal where it's everyone relies on active transportation, right? You you know, when I go there, I drive there, but I park my car and I don't use it for a week. We use bike share. We're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I find, um, yes, Montreal drivers are notoriously a little uh, wild, yes. but very much respectful for bike lanes, cyclists, pedestrians, and the no right turn on red. I love it. Yes. As a driver, um, that all those instances right. I was talking yeah. about at that intersection. If yeah. there was no right turn on red, we would be that would those yeah. incidents would not be occurring. Can yeah. I tell you, I was yes. in New Zealand, and um, I, uh, my best friend uh, moved over there with his wife. They were engineers, and I was there for his wedding. And I walked to the curb. We, we were going. Um, uh, we we're going to get some lunch, and walked to the curb. And the car just stopped immediately. Like the car's immediately. Like it was. A, it was a yeah. sixty, and the car immediately stopped. And I was going to wait part, and I wasn't walking at a crosswalk. I'll admit, but they stopped and walked across the street, and went there, and then I didn't think anything of it, and then came out of lunch and and went up the street a bit, uh, got got to the curb, and they stopped again. And he's like, and I, I said to Chris, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh no, this in New Zealand, if a pedestrian is crossing the street traffic comes to a stop he's like he's like it doesn't matter if you're in christchurch doesn't matter wow. if you're in, in in auckland no matter where you are he's like pedestrians there are always seen to have the right of way no matter where they are yeah and that's been the change here because often too you see pedestrians afraid to take their right of way yeah. and they'll wave the car through yeah and it drives my wife nuts because she'll do that too and i never do that i say <laughs> we got the right of way we're walking mm-hmm. even if we've had the right of way uh and we'll we'll make a car pause but uh, just for that, because we have to be able to, my, to follow these rules. My thing, I say this to my wife all the time, if I come to intersection, there's a pedestrian there. I'm always making eye contact yeah. if I'm the driver, because I yeah. just, I, I want to know what you're doing. Yeah. You know what, that's, 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 and, and I'll acknowledge sometimes pedestrians can not, not always super predict. Especially with AirPods. Sure. Yeah, that's the I other issue that. with, uh, that. with, uh, with, with that is the AirPods yeah. are in and, and I get it. Like they're just, they're oh, yeah. kind of zoned out walking, but, but then to your point about making that eye contact, it's yep. so important just, because I want to yeah. know what you're yeah. doing and you should know what I'm doing. That's, mm-hmm. that's, because even if yep. you have the right of way as the driver, yep. the end result is you'd be, you know, tragically impacted yeah, even yeah. if it was a, mi- a minor yeah. incident i don't i don't want anything to do with that no like yeah no it's it's just like let's just make eye contact yeah. and i'd rather wait for a couple seconds and just see just yeah. see yeah. uh we'll leave it there because we're uh running up against the clock here but thank you so much to kelly and to ryan and to steve for doing the program with us today of course if you want to find the craig needles podcast we are at classicrock981.com londonnewstoday.ca wherever you get your podcast you can also hear me weekdays two to seven on classic rock 98.1 have a great weekend The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.